We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We gotta be detailed, you know, all of us. You know, it started it started during the weekend practice, um, coaching and all of that, man. We all gotta be more detailed, we all gotta have a, a better plan. Um, this shit's not okay. I mean, straight up, it's not okay. We had, how many how many total yards we had? Yeah, it's not 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 gonna fly. So um, you know, we got the dudes. It's time. You know, it's time to be consistent. It's time to start winning the games we should win. And it's time to to do all that. Welcome everybody to another edition of the AFC East Roundup podcast. I'm your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger, and that was an extremely frustrated Garrett Wilson wide receiver for the New York Jets in the aftermath of a loss to the New England Patriots this weekend that could have reverberations for weeks to come. Uh, Guys, welcome to the AFC East, the winningest division in the NFL where you can be one win away from first place, but a loss drops you all the way to last place in the division. I mean, this, this truly is a game of shoots and ladders here in the AFC East for the first time in a long time. And to lead right into the show, because it's it's probably one of the most, I don't know, the most... Back where he belongs. <laughs> it's one of the most interesting topics of the entire night. We kick this thing off with Mr. Scott Mason from Play Like a Jet, who... Scott, we just got done applauding you guys, and now here you are back in the Barry Horowitz chair. What's going yeah. on here? <laughs> By the way, you guys caught me at the perfect time, because just as we started recording this... A lot of people were wondering why Robert Sallow was over an hour late to meet the press. He just spoke and he, in no uncertain terms, made it clear he has not committed to who is starting on Sunday against the Bears. So we could very well be looking at, at a benching of Zach Wilson. It's not anything for sure. But everybody knew there was something weird going on when Salah was that late for the presser. 
And when he was pushed on who was the starter, he said everything was on the table and they would evaluate throughout the week. So I, I wouldn't be shocked if Wilson starts anyway, but it, it lets you know exactly how things went on Sunday in New England. See, and this is what I love. Your segment, the reason we jumped right into this is because you guys are the most interesting, I think, story in the AFC East this week. Like, like if you think about this, like if the win over Buffalo made Jets fans feel like anything at all is possible, which I saw a lot of. I mean, our our friend Michael Palace from Gangrene Palace on Twitter, who we've known him for a long time, he put out a tweet. Before kickoff on Sunday, I just happened to catch it as I was dealing with all the snow that he was he's like, oh, you know, this weekend we're rooting against the Chiefs and we're rooting for the Chargers because he's already talking about the implications of potentially getting the one seed in the AFC. Right. He's like, we need that home field advantage because teams that didn't have it are 0 and 4 in the last four seasons. Well, that, that, that is that is a classic Michael Palace what I like to, I always like to tell him, it's called being too clever by half. He does it all the time, and once again, we saw where what that would happen with that. Well, it, but but it speaks to the level of optimism that's been brewing inside of some people in your fan base. So if that if if that win over Buffalo made everybody feel like this was a thing that could happen coming off the bye. This Patriots loss, I mean, is it just one more loss or does this, do you guys feel the weight of this one? What made this one especially tough, I think, is that we all sort of tricked ourselves after the game against the Bills where Wilson was solid. He wasn't great, but he was good enough. He didn't make the killer mistakes. He made a few nice throws. But you go back and you watch the tape and you guys know this. The Bills' strategy against Wilson was fatally flawed. They didn't pressure him. And so that's why he was able to do what he did predominantly. Now, look at what the Patriots did. They were pressuring him all day. And I believe it was Warren Sharp had the stat that Zach Wilson, since 2000, with the the players with the requisite number of starts at quarterback, is the worst quarterback statistically when pressured and also – the worst quarterback in the league when holding the ball for more than 2.5 seconds. And what that tells you is that, number one, he can't handle the pressure, he crumbles. And number two, he holds the ball way too long and can't make a decision. And when he does that, bad things happen, right? And so we saw that again against the Patriots. And what was especially frustrating in this game is the defense was playing a weird game of bend but don't break. So the Patriots were moving the ball up and down the field. But then once the Patriots would get close enough to maybe threaten a touchdown, the Jets would either knock them back enough that Nick Falk would have to try a long field goal into the wind and he missed two of them, or they would have a sack that would knock them out of field goal range entirely. And that's why the Patriots only had three points heading into that final punt that they returned for the game-winning touchdown. And so when you have a defense that is able to deliver like that all day and the offense Zach Wilson had 77 yards passing. 34 of those came on a pass to Denzel Mims that Mims had to come back about three yards for. It was a terrible pass. He also threw three passes that easily should have been intercepted. One bounced off of Devin McCourty's chest on a pass that went 10 feet over the head. Well, let's talk about this right here because one of the biggest takeaways I had, like my big talking point for today, was supposed to be something else. (laughs) 
before I woke up this morning. I'm sitting there and I'm watching these games with my wife. You know, I'm watching football and I'm watching the ticker on the bottom of the screen. And it's 3-3. Three to three. And then it's 3-3 three to three in the second quarter. And then it's 3-3 three to three into the third quarter. And I'm saying to my wife, I go, can you imagine being the schmuck who paid $400 to watch that game? Like, you got 50-yard line seats in an expensive stadium to watch this football game. And I'm chortling about yeah. it. And I'm laughing. And then they, you know, I see that it finally ends. And it's 10-7. And I see them flash the stat line. And this is where... I, so, so in 1997, the Bills played the Patriots. And we had a backup quarterback named Billy Joe Hobart. The reason he's notable is because while losing in a 33-6 blowout... He came out, and I don't know if he thought that, like, hey, you know what, you know what, the crowd will eat up is self-deprecation. Maybe I, maybe they could take a little brutal honesty, and maybe that's the way to spin this. He publicly admitted in the aftermath of the game that he didn't actually know the playbook, and he figured that the worst thing that would happen by him admitting that, like, hey, maybe I didn't do my study enough. I didn't really pay attention to what was going on here. I'm not. I didn't absorb as much of the playbook, and I just didn't tell my coaches I wasn't prepared. He figured the worst thing that could happen was that he'd be demoted back to third string. Instead, they fired him. They were just like, we can't have that in the fucking building. That's ridiculous. The next day, the press tried to call him and his phone was disconnected. Like he'd already changed his phone number. It was a mess. In that ridiculous loss, a guy who admittedly did not do enough film study to really understand how to do the job of quarterback threw for 133 yards, which is 56 more yards than Wilson did. Now, I was content to let that just be my point and just be like, bah, look at this. What a crappy performance. And then this morning, I saw the Dan Orlovsky tweet breaking down a pass play where from Jump Street, it's clear that Wilson was throwing as if the play required one type of route when in reality his intended target and the other routes that were combined into that play it was not only a post that was clearly like it wasn't a miscom but chris why don't you just play the audio for us i'm not trying to be a jerk here at all i don't know if zach wilson knows the playbook on this play i don't because when i watch this play live for the first time i'm like what is denzel mims at the bottom of the screen doing you got to come flat on your in route denzel mims you can't drift up field Look where the ball's thrown on rhythm. Like, why why are you drifting upfield? And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't think he's got an in route, Dan. I think he does have a big post. Because look at all the other routes. I mean, you have you have a check wheel route by the tight end. Here comes Garrett Wilson on this little crosser, shallow crosser, crossing over. And then here's an in route by Elijah Moore. You would very rarely, if ever, run double ins into each other. This is a three-level concept, right? You know, where you have the post, wheel, shallow, and in on the backside. Zach's throwing this ball at the bottom of the screen. Like, Mims has got the end. One, two, three, eyes away, hitch, and throw. You would never throw a big post on rhythm like that. You would throw an in on rhythm like that, but never a big post. And look at the body language after it from Garrett. And I get it, the frustration. Right here. The... There's no way Zach thinks that this is a big post and plays with this type of pace and rhythm on the play. I don't think he knows what the play is on this play. I I think he's got the complete concept flipped in his mind. Can't happen. So you can, if you guys want to see the full video of that, that's Dan Orlovsky. You can find the video on our feed at Rockpile Reported, also at his Twitter handle. When I hear that, that's where this starts to become a horse of a different color. Because... Now we're not just talking about him playing worse than the legend Billy Joe Hobart. 
we're questioning if he might not have some of the exact same issues that got him fired in the sense that whether it's effort related or whether it's just simply not getting it, he doesn't know the fucking playbook. Like, isn't, is it, is, is that a terrifying prospect as a Jets fan? That's what it is. But what I can tell you is when you go back and you watch these clips and you see Elijah Moore open over and over again, and you see Denzel Mims wide open for a touchdown. I mean, the guy could have taken a nap in the end zone. He was wide open and he was standing there all alone for a good three seconds. When you see stuff like that and Wilson's not even looking at him. And then the, the worst part, of course, is after all of this, right? It's bad enough how he played. But then after all of this, it was like the cherry on top with at, at the postgame presser when he said that it was the wind. He was blaming the wind. And then he went and said that his receivers frustrate him sometimes. And then the, the, the clincher was when he was asked if he felt like he let down the defense on a day when they held the Patriots to three points in their own building. He said, no, not at all. And so you look at this and you say, okay, not only is this kid not getting it on the field, he's not getting it off the field. And I can tell you, and I mean, look, Rich Semini, who's as plugged in as anybody, has said this as well, but I've, I've heard this too, and uh, it, it's not going to surprise you. The defensive players, by all accounts, are like have had enough of Zach Wilson. Many of the offensive players are right there. I mean, we know what Elijah Moore did a couple of weeks ago, and it's becoming clearer and clearer who he was really upset with. And I'm not so sure that it was the coaching staff, if you get my drift. No, and also when you hear Garrett Wilson, the the clip to open the show is perfect, and that's why we picked it. Because you hear two different voices. You hear the quarterback who's supposed to be the leader of your team. And in, in a lot of cases, the quarterback, like there's a reason, like in the draft, People made try, tried to say it was much ado about nothing when when uh, Zach Wilson didn't get voted a team captain when he was at BYU. Everyone's like, God, oh, it, it it doesn't matter. It's just a C on the jersey. When you well, get, well, to be fair on that one, Drew, I know. Uh, the reason that didn't happen is because he wasn't guaranteed I, to be the starter because of the injury. Oh so no, it wasn't, no, 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 and I I understand. Yeah. But I wanted I, yeah. I wanted to I, in, at college. It's okay to throw cold water on ideas like that. What, right, right, te- right. what team in the NFL do you know has a quarterback that doesn't wear a C? Look, there, there isn't you, one. I remember you telling me this story specifically when we talked about Josh Allen. And you said after that playoff game against Houston, Allen went individually to every member of the locker room, apologized personally, yes. blamed himself, and vowed that he would never be the reason they lost the playoff game again. Right? And instead, now, what, would we you watched have- that game. Yes. Right. We, we watched that game. It was Josh Allen certainly had a big part to play, but it wasn't all him. But he took the responsibility because he understood when you're the quarterback and things go badly and you played a big part in them going badly, you take the, the blame. And look, as much as we all will talk about how bad Darnold was and he was terrible, absolutely terrible. And whatever happens to Zach Wilson, the Jets were still right to move on from Darnold. Darnold always took it on the chin. Always, always said the right thing. That's never leadership. Threw anybody under the bus. That's yeah, leadership. Would, and I guess that's my point. Yeah, well, when, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, and yeah. when you look at this and you hear those comments from Garrett Wilson, where he just comes out and says, "Listen, this was this is bullshit. We, as an offense, cannot be like we are not good enough right now. None of us. We are not executing well enough." 
This is coming from a rookie wide receiver. Meanwhile, your second-year quarterback, who by nature of the position you play, is supposed to be the guy in that room, or at least a part of this group, right? This captaincy, this leadership group. The fact that he's so tone deaf, he doesn't even... It's like when we talk about our friend Chris over here. I love Chris to death. Chris has the personality of a dead moth. He doesn't have people skills. He lacks that. So sometimes you'll see him in a conversation with another normal human being and he'll say something and you like in reaction to something they say that he thinks is a throwaway comment and you watch their eyes just get wide in horror. And it's like, yeah, because and he glosses right over it. But it's because Chris doesn't have that in his tool bag. His like like this. Hey, people skills. It's a thing. You know, you make small talk. You understand. Read the room. Even if you don't believe that it's 100% your fault, you take 100% of the blame because it, it'll it buy you some cachet with these guys. Instead, he's doing the polar opposite. I don't think even he, he even realizes what he's done. The thing that I saw was not only the Wilson comments, which it's like it's never a good thing when your quarterback says, no, everything's fine, and your wide receivers are going, I want off the team. Uh, one of them comes out and publicly says this is everything they're doing is shit. And then you see John Franklin Myers on D somebody pointed out that he'd liked two or three or four different tweets by New York journalists just completely ripping Zach Wilson. And, and then of course he came out and said, oops, I did that by accident. Yeah, you guys by accident. too much. And it's like, okay, sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, cause he probably forgot people can see it just like elderly people do. Like they don't think about that. Right, He's right, a young right. guy. They forget people can see that stuff. So it's just to me, yeah, I know you've talked a lot about a play at play like a jet. One of your podcasts that you guys do in the aftermath of a loss, you know, whatever the case may be, you do this thing where you dig through like insurance adjusters and you take a look and you say, how, what percentage blame do people bear? It's, it just seems more and more like there's so much of the blame for what's happening to the jets here falling on his shoulders. No one expected this offense to be great. The thing is, is that they're actually setting themselves up for success and they're not getting it on a routine enough basis. Yeah. And it's all Look. coming down to one guy. And it seems like more and more that barometer is moving towards this is all Zach Wilson's fault. So that leads us to today where you're talking about like this just broke before we started recording. He makes the announcement that they're all options are on the table at quarterback for their next games. I, I, when you look at a fracturing of the quarterback position like this. I guess the question is, going forward, how do the Jets rebound from this here in 2022, if at all? Well, the Jets are in a really tough spot now because last year, if this happens, you just say, ah, whatever, we'll figure it out, we'll roll with it because the team's three and eight or whatever, and who cares? But now they're right in the thick of the playoff race. I mean, if the season ended today, they wouldn't be in the playoffs anymore by virtue of their loss to the Patriots. But they, they can't afford to play that way where they go, oh, if we win, we win. You know, That's why last year this never would have been a consideration. This year, Salah has to do this because Zach Wilson, by virtue of his play on the field and his the, the way he's conducting himself off the field, has gotten to the point where a lot of the locker room is lost. And if Salah doesn't do this and say all options are on the table and at least give these guys – the idea that it's possible that he's going to pull the plug soon if this keeps up, he'll lose whatever's left of the locker room, and they can't afford to have that happen this year. You know, it's crazy. But before the season, people were saying, oh, 
should the Jets trade for Jimmy G? You know, when they, they people thought Jimmy G was going to be available via trade, uh, should they trade for Jimmy G and have him compete with Wilson? And you're like, no, of course not. You know, you want Wilson, and the and the plan was for Wilson to kind of be like a young Jimmy G this year to just sort of manage the game, be smart, make the throws when you have to, and then hopefully blossom from there. Right? It hasn't worked out. I mean, he did have that game against the Bills, but again, the book on Wilson has been written. You know what to do now. You pressure him and you make him hold the ball. And when that happens, he's completely useless, like worse than the league bad. Like I'm not even kidding. There, the, I, like I said, Warren Sharp did this study. And since 2000, he is the worst at that. So if you do that to him, you now know that he's going to completely crumble. Right. And so the Jets are in a situation where I said not only on the last drive, but the drive before. So look, the Jets are tied at three. Right. They're tied at three in a game where their defense is standing on their heads. Put Mike White in there. See if he can drive them down for a field goal. And that would be all you need to do to to, to escape this and steal a win because the Patriots outplayed them every which way yesterday. But still, because of the wind and because of the Jets defense, they were tied all the way up to that final punt return. And Salah didn't do it. And I think it cost him at least a chance at a win. And that's the thing, Drew. I, I've been talking about this on Twitter for a while, but it really heated up yesterday in the wake of that game. People will talk about Jimmy G or if Derek Carr becomes available, which a lot of people expect because of his cap number and all that. Oh, well, those aren't, those aren't game. Those aren't, uh, they don't change the game. And they're not, you know, they're not going to win Super Bowls with those guys. And, it, 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 it. and it's like, well, okay, first of all, Jimmy G was one quarter away from winning a Super Bowl with the San Francisco 49ers. But more to the point, you know this. Look, yeah, in a perfect world, you'd love to have Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes or Justin Herbert or somebody like that, a prime Aaron Rodgers. But you've got to live in the world in which you exist. And in the world in which you exist, the Jets have a playoff caliber roster with one of the best defenses in the NFL and an opportunity to make some noise the next couple of years if they have at least respectable level of quarterback play. And Zach Wilson just hasn't shown that he can do that, that he's not trending in that direction at all. And so if you have somebody like Jimmy G and you, or you have somebody like Derek Carr, you can talk all you want. They're not perfect, obviously. If they were, we wouldn't be talking about them being available at all. But you can win games with those guys, and especially with the way the NFL is right now, there's no team that you look at and go, wow, this team is completely unbeatable. I guess the Chiefs is Chiefs are probably the best team, but you can beat them. I mean, even even their victories this year, a lot of them have been fairly close. The Bills, the Jets beat them with Zach Wilson already. The Eagles are good, but they're not indestructible. So if you take a team like the Jets and you give them back Bright Brees Hall next year and you give them Elijah Vera Tucker back and you give them a competent quarterback, somebody who's a middle to a slightly above middle of the pack guy, now all of a sudden the Jets have an opportunity to, to compete. This year they don't have that option, but they may have to go to Mike White simply because Salah has to give this team a, like the best chance he can to win. And the way Zach Wilson's playing, I mean, Drew, they had two yards of offense in the second half yesterday. Two yards of offense. You can't win games in the – I don't care how good your defense is. You cannot win games in the NFL in the year 2022 when you throw like the ball so, twenty, When you throw the ball 22 times – it's almost a given that at least double digits, like at least double digit completions will happen by accident. 
Like by accident, you'll get to 10. I don't, Chris, when's the last time short of uh, Mac Jones against the Bills on that Sunday night, Monday night football game where they just made it a point not to throw the football? When's the last time you saw a quarterback complete single digit passes? I don't know. I, it, I it, don't know. Maybe, maybe Nathan Peterman. It, <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so that's where this breaks down. If he's your Nathan Peterman now, you guys, because listen, there was a time where the Bills thought Nathan Peterman was at least a bridge guy. Maybe not the guy, but at least a wasn't startable. Nathan Peterman, oh, wasn't Nathan Peterman like a seventh round pick? He was a fifth round pick, but either way, there, there, was, there was this hope. See, but that's my point. But they, yeah, well, that's, that's it. There was a point, hope. Though. And now you guys have figured out right. that number two ain't it. There's a lot of hard decisions to be made, and I don't, I don't envy your coaching staff right now. Before, as we let you go, let us know what Jets content you have coming up this week, because I'll tell you, I'll be hate reading and listening and watching all of it in the run up to, because <laughs> listen, we're, we're, this whole podcast is based on the idea of Schadenfreude. We all love suffering when it's not happening on our side of the fence. So in that way, I will be looking over the fence to see what you guys got cooking over there. Why don't you tell our listeners what you have coming up and where they can find it? Well, if you're a Bills fan and you want to check out our contest, like uh, content, like you said, Drew, right now, kind of like Barry Horowitz, the Brooklyn Brawler, it take, you know, we're the jobbers again. So, so come and watch us get pinned by the likes of Tatanka and the Million Dollar Man and whoever the uh, the the superstar of the week is to our enhancement talent. But yeah, we've got our usual lineup this week, and we're going to do something fun for Thanksgiving. Uh, we're going to do a Things that Jets fans should be thankful for. And you know, all joking aside, no, all joking aside, there are some things that Jets fans should be happy about. I mean, the defense is outstanding. Quentin Williams is next level right now. He's playing as well as any defensive player in the league, right? Sauce Gardner has been fantastic. Before he got hurt, Brees Hall looked like he was going to be a superstar. So there's stuff to get excited about. Garrett Wilson, right? But um, so we're going to do that uh, just to kind of try and lift the spirits a little bit. And we'll have our usual stuff, the pregame report, the postgame report with Andy Baskich, which was, uh, boy, was that uh, (laughs) – that was a fun one to record yesterday after that Patriots game. Uh, Seven days a week. So, as Drew said, if you're into the schadenfreude game, come and check it out if you're a Bills fan. At Play Like a Jet 1 on Twitter. Uh, Instagram, uh, we don't have, but we do have a store where you can buy stuff at Public. That's T-E-E Public. YouTube channel, youtube.com slash playlikeajet. The podcast is on all major podcast platforms. Gentlemen, congrats on that win yesterday. Uh, If it has to be the Bills or the Dolphins, I'll be rooting for the Bills because uh, everybody knows what Jets fans think of the Dolphins. And, uh, well, let's just say uh, I would like the fish to get squished. And if it's not going to be the Jets because it sure ain't looking like it with the way Wilson's playing, uh, then then I would like to see the Bills uh, get one. But we'll see what the Jets do against the Bears this week. I'm mildly terrified of what Justin Fields is going to do. The Jets' defense, their one Achilles heel is being able to stop quarterbacks that can use their legs. And as we know, Allen hurt them with his legs. And the way Fields has been going with his legs, it could be a real nasty day, especially if Zach Wilson or Mike White uh, ends up playing anywhere near the way Wilson played this past Sunday against the Patriots. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And so on the flip side of that coin, which Chris almost seems like a bad penny, based on the way that game played out, Christian Simonelli joins us to talk about the Patriots, who beat the Jets 10-3. to uh, I mean, you guys don't have the quarterback issues that uh, our friend Scott Mason that we just talked to does. But what a rousing quarterback duel, huh? Uh, oh, yeah. No, listen. <laughs> when you gain 2.77 inches her play in the second half, it doesn't get much better than that. And that being the New York Jets. Yeah, that that game, I, I was just telling Scott, my wife and I, legitimately, I just kept bringing it up to her. Because like, the Bills game's going on, and I keep watching the box scores and the ticker, and I go, how the hell is it still 3-3? Three to three? And then I started joking about, like, who are these schmucks who paid $400 to sit at the 50-yard line to watch these two teams play this game? It's like I would gouge my eyes out. Like, I'd leave. I would legitimately <laughs> leave. You left. You left. In the middle of the game. I I left at halftime my house. <laughs> and I said to my wife, Come on, let's go do some errands. I'm, nothing's going to matter in the third quarter. And she looked at me and she goes, are you serious? And I go, yeah. I go, I can get back here in the fourth quarter and it'll still be the same score. I go, these teams might not score until Tuesday if they let them play that <laughs> one. <laughs> I go, so it was one of those things where I joked around about how um, just like, thank God that that punt return happened because it saved everybody from another game going to overtime, potentially a tie. Like I remember they're so infrequent that oh, week yeah. week one, there was a player on the Colts team who was like, I didn't know that could happen. He's like, I'm an NFL football player. Yeah. I, I forgot that you can tie in this league because it doesn't happen. <laughs> Nobody ties. That's not a real thing in the NFL. Unless you're talking about some really, <laughs> some really offensively stagnant football teams. So when we're talking about the New England Patriots, I mean, first of all, Mac Jones, 85% completion percentage and three points. Something there doesn't add up. What happened with this offense? They moved the ball between like the 30s and then they would get to the 30 and they would fall start. He would take a sack. There would be a hold. And pretty soon, they would do, were doing enough of those where it would kick them out of field goal range or get them to a point where the field goal was long enough that the wind that was whipping that day would, would blow it off. And that's why Nick Folk mixed, missed two field goals. So Is he it, had nothing but plastic yards, really. Folk, he's been your guy's best offensive presence. Like, you guys have won Sadly, games yes. on his back. What was it? He had five field goals in a single game a week ago. 
He had, uh, or a week or two ago, he's had a couple. I want to say in the last month, he's probably had at least 15 field goals. Does that sound fair? Yeah. I I think he's had more points than like four games combined that the offense has had. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then meanwhile, to your point, you you look at this and you say to yourself, because Scott kind of alluded to it. He goes, they played bend but don't break. And then as soon as you guys would get close, they'd sack you and they'd push you back out of the six sacks, six sacks allowed by this off by this Patriots offensive line. Like that's that's very unbilicheckian. It's not something we're used to seeing from a Bilicek coach team. I mean, offensive line was never a strong point for you guys at all this year. Now you've lost your starting center, Andrews, maybe for the year you've seen a really sharp regression. Because I remember early on, people thought that the Patriots looked really smart for drafting Cole Strange. And now he just kind of, he's he's being benched. He just looks lost. And losing his starting center isn't going to help that. Isaiah Wynn just seems like he's, wasn't he, he used to be great for you guys, didn't he? Never say that again. He was never I just great did a spit take. I, he was, I, have, I have water in my pants now. <laughs> <laughs> he was never great. He was a draft pick that no one wanted. <laughs> and he's been awful since day one. <laughs> <laughs> I just did a real spit take. That's awesome. Ah, so basically, you're, you're stuck with a bunch of offensive linemen. Dante Scarnecchi is not walking through the door anytime soon. Like th- this whole thing is kind of like this was supposed to be the thing that made or broke your team. Your running backs are doing a lot of great things without a whole lot of help from that offensive line. Your quarterback can't get a whole lot of help from this offensive line. And it's only going to get worse after the center injury. I guess I just like, What's the level of optimism for your offense to get better than what we saw on Sunday going forward? Uh, after the bye, zero. You, you actually had the bye, and you came out and you had your worst offensive performance of the season. And I don't care that Mac Jones had a 104 QB rating and that he didn't turn the ball over. They are scared right now to call plays with this kid. It's quite obvious. Will you they s- basically instructed him to either not turn the ball over by taking a sack, and if it's not there, just to throw it into the stands. You now, now this was one interesting wrinkle of this because you you just hit on something there. They're playing this different brand of football because they're afraid of making a mistake because they know they have to play mistake-free offense if they want to win a football game. They actually found yep. something for a game here behind this wonky formation called a full house that most people only know of because they've played Madden before. It's one of those pip- well, high school football. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Like they call this at Juco level. They call this in high school. D1 schools don't run it because most teams are usually too ta- like talented enough on defense that it doesn't work. And also realistically, like, like if, even if you're playing Madden, you look at it and you go, I could run four verts and call a hot rod or two and still get more yardage than anything this package could possibly give me. Yet the Patriots found a way to at least make their attack between the 30s look serviceable using this. For, the, for those of you who are listening who don't understand, it's when you're second and first and second. Imagine 12 personnel where both your tight ends are on the field. 
except instead of lining up off tackle, your tight ends are in the backfield where if your quarterback was in the pistol, they would be lined up next to him. And then behind them is a running back, almost like he's lined up in single back formation. So there's three options, theoretically, off the snap for your quarterback to either hand off to or to do a quick check down, a quick throw on a flare route or a wheel route out of the backfield. So it's something that if you're not prepared for it and you haven't communicated it well, your front seven can get bitten by. If your defensive ends get too far afield, your linebackers don't read the play properly, or if there's misdirection and then they go back, you know, let's say you run, you fake the handoff to the running back. He's got a one tight end faking like a lead blocker. The tight end on the other side, he's probably open for a play action pass off the bootleg that can get you some yardage. There are things creatively you can do out of a formation like this. I'm just surprised by the creativity it took to go that deep. You're talking about plays that people who play Madden aren't dumb enough to run. The Patriots went that far down the rabbit hole to try to find something to spark this offense. I guess the question for you as a fan, is there concern that like a lot of gimmicks at the NFL level, kind of like I'm thinking about the Wildcat, once teams get film on it, it's just not as effective? Yeah, it's short-lived. Look at what happened with the Wildcat with Miami in 2008. They were like gangbusters for two games. Team saw it on tape, said, okay, next time out, uh, when they played the Patriots, I think they had eight attempts for 26 yards versus the 150-plus yards they had the first time they met. Yeah. So, yeah, this offense right now is just trying to find anything, and that's kind of what Sunday told me. They're, they're just trying to find anything that, that will work. This is all comes back to coaching, which I've said 157,000 times on this podcast. <laughs> you can't tell me that all these guys on offense are that bad uh, NFL caliber players. You can't tell me they're all that bad. They can't be. They can't be all that bad. They have to have at least a modicum of ability to make an NFL team and get on the field and make plays. So it's the coaching. It's the scheme or lack thereof is really what it is. But I mean, look on the bright side. You may not have an offense. You may have a quarterback who's, whether it's by virtue of the scheme or whether it's just a regression of his, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. But at least you're a playoff team. (laughs) At least you're still in the playoff picture. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the sixth seed. So don't ask me how, but um, it's a shame because the defense is playing great. I don't know how good they are because looking at the competition that they've played, haven't played Buffalo yet, play Minnesota this week, um, although they got waxed, obviously, and put up only three points yesterday. But I just uh, – it's a shame. Like, there's guys having career years like Judon, Dietrich Twice. The corners look good. Jack Jones, Jonathan Jones, they look good. I mean, they have the number one ranked pass defense in the NFL right now, ninth against the rush. So, I just – if the offense could just do anything and put up, I don't even have faith that the offense can score 14 points in a game right now. That's how bad it is. I mean, that's the crazy thing. When you look back at what this season, Chris has been for the pay for the Patriots, their losses, they lose in overtime to the Packers. And what goes down is like a thriller as far as them scoring points. And, you look at it on defense. Their defense gave up 244 passing yards. That's not otherworldly. It was the rushing yards that killed them. 
uh, just like the week before, 206, but they gave up 188. In games where they hold the other team to under 100 rushing yards, they do well. They do well. They usually win that football game. That seems to be where you guys live and die. And so it's just crazy to think that it's just based on how little you're getting from that side of the ball, just like the the Jets, you guys aren't getting enough to consistently win. And yet you're a playoff team. So does that say that the Patriots stink or that the rest of the NFL stinks? Like, I don't know. What do you think? B, B, B. It's B. (laughs) It's B. There's a lack of coaching. Who thought Russell Wilson was going to be this bad? Who thought Frank Reich was going to get fired? Like, these, there are things that have happened this year that I, you know, people didn't predict. Like, everybody had Indy as a playoff team. Everybody had Denver as a playoff team. Like, so there's two teams just right there without even really thinking about it. That they're just total dumpster fires. So, hey, look, I said it before. Bill hasn't lost his fastball. Bill can still coach. Bill loves those types of games. If Bill could win every game by a point, he would win every game by a point. Like, he loves that. He lives for those tight games with the hope that the other team will just at some point crap themselves. And it took the Jets about 59 minutes yesterday, but they finally did it with a line drive punt. If you go back and you watch that punt return, Marcus Jones gets the ball. Even on the TV, there's nobody within 10 yards of the kid. That's how bad that punt was. And it was only like two blocks and he was gone. So um, it's just an indictment on the league. I'm sorry. I love my team, but it's the league. This AFC is just not as good as, as we thought it was going to be. Well, I don't even think it's the AFC. I mean, Chris, I'm looking at that. I'm looking at the conference yeah. right now. I'm looking at the NFL playoff picture. Sure. You have one team with one win. You then have the Steelers, Broncos, Browns, Raiders, Jaguars. That's one, two, three, four, five. So in a conference with 16 teams, four is 25%, add five, so you're a little bit over that you're probably trending towards 30% of them have not just a losing record, but a losing record by double the, like they have double the number of losses compared to wins. A lot of bad football being played. There's a lot of it. The buy and the, the same is true of the NFC. You look, they've got one, two, three, four teams that are all tied with four wins throwing a couple three birds there. I mean, at least they're ba- there is no Houston Texans. <laughs> There's no Houston Texans giving everybody layups in the NFC. Right. The Bears are still dangerous as you a Patriots fan certainly know. <laughs> but, oh yeah. But <laughs> and then look at the Ravens. The Ravens almost lost to the Carolina Panthers this past weekend. So realistically, there are basement dwelling teams in both conferences, but I think you can say that the AFC our basement dwellers are worse. And so in that way, we've made this thing because we were talking about how this our division really is shoots and ladders. Everybody is one win away from either being a hero or a zero. This, <laughs> but, but a lot of it's the byproduct. You hit the nail on the head of just a lot of shitty football in our conference. But yeah. hey, in a shitty conference, you guys are at least not, you guys aren't at least the biggest turd. And that's got to count for something, right? Hey, and there's got to be, you know, a king turd. So whatever. <laughs> That's it. Christian, this is, I love doing this with you every week. I can't wait to get back together with you guys. After, after you go to Minnesota and you know, just like the Cowboys did, you guys are going to beat the brakes off of them. I'm sure they won't be salty <laughs> about what just happened. Right? <laughs> no, not at all. But I will say Kirk Cousins in primetime, abysmal record. Terrible. 
I hope nothing good ever happens to anybody wearing the color purple. I don't even care about the Vikings. Anybody who wears the color purple, I hope nothing good happens to you ever again. <laughs> Christian, it's always a good time. Where can people follow you on social media? Uh, at Chris with the TIN on Twitter. Give me a follow. I'll give you a follow back. And like I always say, I can bathe in your misery, but you can bathe in mine. And so that brings us to the Buffalo Bills, who beat the Browns 31-23 to in their away game. Well, home game that Chris, 0% chance. <laughs> no, we, listen, it's Chris, it's fine. You had a bad take. They happened to everybody. It's it's not the end of the world. We already it happened to, more so you than me. I know. So we already we already covered it in our recap show, which hopefully by now you've listened to. If not, I don't know what the hell you're doing. And we talk about it a little bit, just the return back to that same stadium in our preview of the Lions game. But so this week for the Bills here on the roundup, we're again talking about playoff odds and calculation. First of all, the Bills. I, I think I, I showed up. I got here tonight as you were walking in the door with the pizza. And the first thing I said to you when we got out of our vehicles was, the Chargers are fucking dead to me. Yeah. They just can. The Bills can't catch a break. We've beaten three of the four teams that currently hold division leads in the AFC. And yet the opponents they come up against just cannot seem to seal the deal and just give us a hand. Tennessee buries Green Bay on Thursday night football. Like, this is a team that, Chris, what did they score? Six points? I think in that Sunday night game against Kansas City the week before with Malik uh, Willis, a quarterback. Something like that. They had six points scored. They bury Green Bay and their offensive coordinator downing. He gets so pumped. He pulls a comp- like He finally, for once in his career, pulled, like, uh, had, did, what do you want to call it? Called a complete game. And then in celebration, goes full Dukes of Hazard and gets himself a D dub. Todd Downing arrested for DWI the same night he finally does his job correctly. Hey, who sent? Was it EJ that sent that to us? Yes. Hilarious. Isn't that the best? <laughs> yeah. He definitely deserved it. Uh, the Chargers, once again, let the Chiefs off the hook on primetime football. We all know Herbert is going to be a really good young quarterback, Chris, but he crashes headfirst into the Chiefs every single season. He has one career win against them with Mahomes as a starting quarterback. They beat him in the final game of the year when they were... Uh, his, like He has a win against the Chiefs, but it was at the end when they had nothing to play for and they started Chad Henney. Like, is this kind of like the AFC West's version of Marino and Kelly? Except Herbert's the one who's going to be slinging the isotoners? Maybe. I don't know. Marino and Kelly did a lot of splitting. Yeah. Yeah, that's But fair. then when it got came to the playoffs, we always beat them in the playoffs. And that's it. Like, this time, it's, it's worse than that because Herbert can't make the playoffs because he loses too many games to Kansas City. And think about it. Every one of those games is a nail-biter. It always comes down to the last handful of plays, the last handful of possessions. The Chargers hit the fucking lead in this one. Yeah. And they somehow still failed in epic fashion. You know, so the, you know how Chargers could have fixed all of this. How? If they just went the route of hiring Brian Dable. Yeah, remember when he was the front runner, and then yeah. they were like, "No, you know what we need is 
Brandon Staley. Because was it Tom Telesco and Dable know each other from here? Because I think Tom Telesco, I think, is from Buffalo. And so is mm-hmm. Dable. Well, so I don't know why you wouldn't want to hire your 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 buddy who's an offensive genius. I mean, look what he's... Look what he's doing with the Giants. With uh, the fact that you have Danny Dimes and you have seven wins in the NFL means you know you know something about NFL yeah. play calling. Just imagine if you went to the Chargers and Herbert. He had Herbert and Eckler. Yeah, fuck. Like that's like right now that whoever made that call, it, Telesco. T- Telesco. I was gonna say Telesco better hope it's the owner because if not, the owner's gonna come to Telesco and be like, "Hey, dude, what the fuck?" Brandon Staley. And then you've seen the fact that Staley has regressed now. Like, the thing that made him special was everyone goes, well, look at his his aggressiveness on fourth down. He's lost that, too. He's no longer aggressive on fourth down. He punted on the chief side of the field on fourth and inches last night. That's embarrassing. Yeah, he has a, he has a thing about going forward on fourth down. Yeah, and he's given that up, too, which means you don't have an identity. You're just a horse's ass who's coaching a losing football team despite the fact that you have an amazing quarterback. So this week's win for the Buffalo Bills, like we're seven and three and we're on top of the wild card. We're the top wild card team in the AFC and we're just half a game out of being the two seed in the entire NFL. Well, two seed in our conference. This week's win was a conference win, which helps considering the rest of the division already beat the Browns. And it eliminates a tiebreaker that everyone else would have had against us if we'd lost. So what's next? How much is at stake and what are our rooting interests? Well, this week I went to 538.com's playoff calculator and took a look at it. Now, obviously the Bills have to do their own part and they have to win this game on Thanksgiving, which doesn't look like a gimme, right? It doesn't look exactly like the slam dunk you usually think about when you think about the Lions. Yeah. I'd say that you'd be should be rooting for Houston over Miami, but piecing together how that disaster of a team could pull it off, it just makes my head hurt. I'm not in the mood to do any advanced calculus. <laughs> I don't need I just I, I can't get there. Meanwhile, losses by our aforementioned guests teams, the Jets and the Patriots, to the Bears and Vikings respectively will result in a two percent increase in the Bills playoff odds and a three percent increase in our division win odds. Kansas City absorbed more injuries in the win over the Chargers. They're actually starting, Chris, to look a lot like the Bills in terms of all their missing pieces. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire left last night's game. They said he's out. They did. It'll take some time for him to get back. So they're down there starting running back. Wide receiver one, two, and three. Nicole Hardman goes to the IR this past week. Juju Smith-Schuster's battling a concussion. Kadarius Toney. Remember how excited everybody, everyone was about Kadarius Toney? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, look, he, he's not hurt. He's not injury-prone. This is going to be fine. He was lying all along. We're everybody. Guy, Guess what? Tariq Hill? We're not going to miss him. We don't need a replacement. This is all going to be fine. Pulls his hamstring. One, I think he had one reception. Maybe. Something like that. The, the, you know, that he injures that definitely 100% totally not injured hamstring. They lose their cornerback, too. <laughs> A cornerback to, like, Trent McDuffie. Like, they have guys who could be okay, but also you keep losing defensive backs. in a, What is probably your most under under-experienced position? 
They lose a third-string defensive end. They lose their, their best safety in Juan Thornhill with a calf injury. That's a problem. Yeah, it is. The Bills know what it's like to lose your best safety. Look at the games that we've played without Poyer. For a team that's already not great at playing defense in front of them, the fact that they're going to be missing him for who knows how long, and they lost a backup offensive tackle, which stretches, the again, another position that they're not top-heavy at, it stretches the depth just a little bit further. They're going to have a parade of rookies on the field when they take on, what, they also beat the hell Rams? The Rams are in shambles. Yeah, yeah. No Cooper Cup, maybe no Matt Stafford. Ashawn Robinson's knee injury looks real bad. They just have a whole bunch of shit going on over there. The Chiefs' only challenge over the remaining weeks of the regular season is Cincinnati. And Seattle. That game, Se- Seattle. That game against Seattle could be... Hold on, I'm going to look that up because I think that's going to matter if it is in Kansas City or Seattle. I think it's in Kansas City. It I is. I believe it's in Kansas City. Christmas Eve. But so I guess my point is Seattle's one of those teams that plays a style of football that's different from the teams that you watch them. Like, like what did the Chargers do last night? They ran the football really effectively. That's kind of been the Seahawks. They're like, listen, we're going to play tough defense and we're going to run the football well. And we're going to make you we're going to make you make no mistakes. We're also going to pressure your passer. We're also going to do a lot of they're doing things that they used to do when they were competing for championships. Well, I call it what you want, but the Chiefs last night, I saw Mahomes getting hit on second and long. He drops back to pass. He's getting knocked to the ground. He's getting battered around. His offensive line is having a tough time protecting him. It's They're not infallible, but they don't have many challenges left on their slate. So you're basically left rooting for the Chargers, uh, the, the Chargers, the Rams this week. And I don't know, maybe the Seahawks in two weeks, maybe Cincy. The way. It just, Chris, doesn't it feel like the Bills' odds of catching them are pretty slim? Yeah, we'll need uh, some help from Cincinnati. It's, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. But this week's betting odds, or at least odds in terms of the Bills playoff picture, you're going to want to root against Kansas City, even though they're probably going to demolish the Rams. And I don't know. You just hope. You just hope that somebody else. I mean, the, the Ravens almost choked away one. Did you see that? It was 3-3 three to three into the fourth quarter. Yeah, I don't know how you do that. I don't know. It's it's a mess. But doesn't it also make you feel better knowing that we have those wins in hand already over the top three teams? Yeah. The, so if anybody slips up, anybody makes a mistake, and we can reclaim our own division lead, it'll go a long way towards staking us well in the AFC playoff picture. But we got to get past the Miami Dolphins. And that brings us to the last segment of tonight's show. And so that brings us to the Dolphins. Elf Artiaga on the line with us. Elf, you guys are coming off the bye, and you watch the chaos that just unfolded at the bottom of this. The AFC East, the prevailing thought this week is that it really is shoots and ladders when you think about it, because there's only a game that separates you at the top from the team that's currently at the bottom. Isn't that kind of a terrifying prospect? Uh, no, because uh, Team 3 and Team 4 are utterly incompetent. And if you look at the, the New England Patriots schedule, they're getting ready to start losing a lot. So it's, it's the Bills and it's the Dolphins. 
one of us will be a wild card. One of us will be a division winner. If you if you're a schedule reader like I am, I think the Dolphins have to win the game in Buffalo if they want to win the division. If they lose it, the Bills will win the division, and the Dolphins will be a wild card. So that is funny. I'm not too worried. You've been I'm calling not too worried your sh- about it. You have been calling your shot on this all season. Just like basically, and it got louder ever since the Dolphins won back in three week three. So you have to feel pretty vindicated about the idea that you kind of knew when this boils. It's almost like last year, Chris. Remember, uh, the Chiefs were struggling, or at least they they weren't looking great. The Bills had some midseason losses, and everyone's like, "See, the AFC is up for grabs." And Vegas was like, "Nah, nah." Remember preseason? We said it would. It was definitively the Bills and the Chiefs. Well, it turns out the Bills and the Chiefs were the two best teams in the AFC. <laughs> like, if not for a fluky half of football, it still would have played out that way by the Chiefs. So you've got to feel pretty good about this idea that it looks very much like down the stretch. It is just going to be a two-horse race, right? Yeah, and it's and it's kind of obvious, I think, at this point. You can't watch that game <laughs> between the Jets and the... And, uh, I, I was telling, and the Patriots. I was telling Scott, no, not only can you not watch it, like it's unwatchable football. I kept joking with my wife during the course of the game. I go, honey, because you're looking around the league and you're, you're watching the ticker. And I'm going, why are there three different games where neither team has a touchdown at halftime? What's happening here? It's 3-3, three, 3-3, three, 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 and 0-3. And then all of a sudden, all these games are 3-3, three to three, and it's the fourth quarter. I'm going, what the fuck happened to offensive football in the NFL? Our teams don't have that problem. Even when our teams are at their worst. For the Bills, it's second halves. For the Dolphins, it was the early part of the season, but over the last couple weeks, they've just piled touchdowns on people. Our teams don't struggle to score. And these other two make playing offensive football look like it's like pushing the rock uphill. I don't know in Greek mythology what that guy's name was, but that's them. They're just forever stuck trying to roll that rock uphill. It'll never go. So... It's just funny the way that this is all kind of presented itself. Now, for you guys, we can't look backwards because you didn't play this week. So instead, we'll look ahead, just like we did last week for our other divisional opponents. First of all, Byron Jones and this problem that he represents for your franchise. So he's he was kind of a, now looking back at it, kind of an albatross on your salary cap for a guy who, if you had known he wasn't going to be playing in week 12, you'd say to yourself, man, I really wish we could have spent that money elsewhere. But the the way his contract was wired, you can't release him. You can't do anything. So you're stuck with him for the year. But I remember talk during the preseason about them saying, well, he'll miss the Bills game, but he should be back shortly after that. He's not practicing this week. Are we ever going to see Byron Jones? They keep saying because it's been it's been an odd time. Really, OK, they keep saying that they're really optimistic that he'll play this season. OK. <laughs> My thinking is that there's some type of impasse between the player and the team. And, yeah, he did have a setback because I remember all offseason they were saying, oh, he'll be, you know, he'll show up for camp. And then, like, around in June, he worked out. And they said, oh, no, he's not ready for camp. And he might not be ready for week one, but we're shooting for week one. Week one came and they said, all right, he's out for four weeks at least. Okay, the four weeks passed and they said, give us two weeks and he should be practicing the two weeks passed. And then they started saying, "Okay, he's kind of overdue. (laughs) And then the speculation is is because they don't reveal injuries is that he had a setback in his rehab. And when you have Achilles surgery, 
that could be a problem, right? Yeah. So, you know, the expectation is, and that's a weird word, but that's what they keep saying, is that he'll be on the plane headed out west after this Texans game. And that he'll begin practicing then. But, you know, <laughs> we don't we we obviously don't know, right? Well, but he keeps showing up to these games. He's on the sidelines. Well, He's at good. practice every single day. I mean, that's like, good. Just it's an odd situation. Like Micah Hyde, he's out for the year, but he's out there helping coach. I think he kind of understands. Like he's helping coach our young kids. He's like, look, I understand that this, this, it's a team thing. He's like, first of all, I just as a football player, I want to be around the team because that's my identity. I'm a football player. Second of all. I recognize that a team is playing a lot of young kids because there's injuries, because there's issues. I want to be at least there. I want to be able to talk to them. I want to be able to talk to people in practice. I want to be able to do be a part of this because I, I'm a football player. That's what football players do. There's also this idea that maybe he needs to sell himself a little bit to this team because if you look at the sailor cap next year, the team can divest themselves of him for a ch- giant chunk of cap space. <laughs> and then when you, what is it, Kohu? I believe his name is the way he's played has yes. kind of made him. Uh, do, do you think that maybe he's been made a little bit expendable? Yeah, I think that the team is obviously looking mm-hmm. at first of all, we're remaking the entire defense. And if the Browns game is any indication that already started because they can play, they played completely different against the Browns yes. than they have all year. Gone was all the man coverages. And now in was a bunch of zone and four man rushes. Right. Yep. So then you look at the team. Emmanuel Ogba is out for the year. He's had one injury or another all year. And finally, what did him in was his, uh, a biceps tear. So he's out for the year. And now you look at the team and you have $16 million in Byron Jones and $15 million in Emmanuel Ogba, essentially doing nothing. So that's $31 million. I think the team is, is going to look at those two guys at the end of the season and say, you know, we could use that $31 million elsewhere. Well, exactly. Because they're, they're really not helping us now, and we kind of like the team that we have already, right? So, yeah, we're using that $31 million somewhere else. And so, it's interesting when you talk about cornerbacks making all that money and being on the ro- or being around, but they're not available. We're going through that right now with Trey White, and there's a lot of division in the fan base that you're starting to see bubble to the surface where you watch a game – like we just saw against the Cleveland Browns, where neither of our boundary cornerbacks did well against against Amari Cooper. Go back the week before, Justin Jefferson set our defense on fire. It Every team's number one receiver is killing us, and everyone's looking, saying, listen, we were told that the reason that this team didn't need to make trade deadline moves, that the reason they don't need to change their scheme like the Miami Dolphins did, was because they feel Trey White will be back. Except he's been activated from the pup list, unlike Byron Jones, for almost a month now. And yet there's no, every time, every single week, they rule him out days in advance of the game because they don't want the questions. And you start to wonder, is Trey White like he doesn't have a he doesn't have the non-contact jersey on anymore when he's practicing? He's out there. If if they're continually ruling him out, at what point is he like it's gotta be a mental thing then at that point. And if that's the case, that's almost more alarming. Cause I remember hearing Takeo Spikes talk about his Achilles tear and how he wasn't mentally recovered from it until he was already wearing another team's uniform 
Buffalo had already shipped him out because they were like, listen, you're making too much money and you're not playing well enough. You're not committed to this anymore. We got to we got to make a move. It scares me to hear this. And I see you guys with Byron Jones kind of going down the same type of road where it's like, look, dude, if you're not here, there's a division. You guys, who, regardless of where the division lies for the Miami staff, they're looking at this going, here's a cornerback. We're paying a ton of money who's not available to us when we need him to be. It's it's a big issue. Now you what, saw Godfather. You saw Godfather too. Yes. Okay. Do you remember when um, the Mylansky character tells Michael Corleone, "What was the Mylansky character's name, by the way, in the movie?" Uh, I forget. I know what you're talking. About. He goes down to Miami to meet him. Yeah, and he tells him, "I'm going to go to bed, and when I wake up in the morning, if the million dollars is here, I know I have a partner. Yes. If it's not, I know I don't." Yep. I think the Dolphins are, are going to essentially pose that question to Byron Jones. They're going to say, you're either on the plane headed out west because they're going out west for two weeks. They're not coming back. You know, They're, mm-hmm. they're going to go out there for two weeks, and then they're going to come back here to practice for Buffalo week, right? Yep. So you're either on the plane headed out west to practice and play maybe in one of those games, or you're not. And if you're not, then I guess your season is over. I think that is what's going to be posed to Byron Jones here in short order. It'll be interesting to see how that goes. Last week, we asked our guests about their next month of football because we didn't have a a game to look back on and just their level of confidence they can keep the positive momentum. This trip you're talking about, right? It's just this is the crux of your season now because everything else looks winnable. This trip looks like it's the only stumbling block outside of your trip. I mean, it's look, look at this. It's a race between you and us for the division, and it might be the toughest stretch you have left for the entire season. Houston, at San Fran, at the Chargers, and then you're going to go at Buffalo. That's three straight weeks. Considering it's hard to play a whole month of football away from home and come out a winner every single time, especially for a team whose defense that you've pointed out to us before struggles on the road in ways that they don't struggle at home, how confident are you that they'll still be in the division lead when we play on the 18th? I watched the Chargers last night, and and the, and I'm very confident <laughs> that that game is going to be for the division title in Buffalo December 18th. I'm pretty certain the Dolphins are going to beat the, the Chargers. The 49er game, I think, is a toss-up. But should Jimmy Garoppolo really scare us? The last time we played Jimmy Garoppolo was two years ago. They were really good. We beat them by... We scored, what was it, 44 points on them? That game was a bloodletting. It got ugly. I remember because I I told one of my friends, he asked me for advice. I go, don't take Miami. I go, come on now. Don't take Miami. San Francisco, they're a good team, or they're turning it around at least. I go, they they had an injury-plagued first half, but they're playing strong. It'll be fine. And it was a massacre. (laughs) Yeah, so, you know, I feel pretty good about splitting out out west and if they split out west i think that that game against buffalo on december 18th is for the division and i really don't fear anybody after that game no nor should you because and that's my point like it's the the schedule really is coming together perfectly to make that a must watch football game and i can't wait chris because you know what that means that means that podcast is going to have a ton of eyes on it already 
And then you throw in the fact that Elf's going to come on and do our preview show where we have Nate Geary in studio. And the two of them can... It's it's literally Andre the Giant meets Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania 3, and you and me get to just sit by ringside and just watch this thing happen. It's going to be great, isn't it? Mm-hmm. From a producer's do I, do standpoint. Do I get that... Do I do I get to hit Nate Geary over the head with a chair or no? Hey, listen, this is a no holds barred match. I don't care. Blows below the belt. Chris, who was one of the worst referees in wrestling? Do you remember Earl Hebner? Earl Hebner. Yeah. Listen, I I don't mind. Turning <laughs> yeah, that's the, the one that didn't he have a he had a twin right for one time. Yeah, and Dave, that's the one. Dave uh, Hebner. It's what. <laughs> yeah, and then um. <laughs> Uh, uh, Hulk Hogan, like he did his little presser afterwards. Like, did you see what they pulled on us? <laughs> they had a twin, uh, which makes uh, you know wrestling so great. It's and it's, if you watch some, you know, if you watch some NFL games on Sundays, kind of resembles the same thing. Yeah. So I just because that block in the back that wasn't that was ridiculous. I don't know if you saw it. No uh, punt return for touchdown. Oh, everyone keeps defending it. Yeah. And none. They defended it to the hilt. Uh, New York came out and said, no, that was a perfect block. It was from the side. <laughs> and I'm like, holy shit. If they're, if they're allowing the Patriots to block like that, then maybe they do have a shot in this division. Well, my whole thing is, they. They. I, I thought after I saw, I did see it. Now that you're mentioning it, like I did see it. And I just remember chalking it up as like, well, they just knew somebody had to win because you couldn't watch overtime in that game. Like, there was no way they were letting oh, it I wanted- go. I wanted overtime, and I was going to take the tie live betting when that punt return happened. So, you know, I almost took an awful bad beat, okay? But I was going to take it. At the start of overtime, I was going to take it live betting because they were they were giving it out at plus 150 for the tie, and I was certain it was going to be a tie. Uh, but I'm sorry. I've been to the seminars. Look, I know that they're boring, but – you know, the NFL does these seminars at training camp every single year. They send the head of officials to do a seminar. They go over the rule book. You get to ask questions. It's one of the clearest rules in the book. Okay. If you're facing the goal line, you can't block somebody. Period. That guy was facing the goal line. That's hilarious. That is hilarious. So that is the very definition of what they decide to call a blindside block. You cannot be facing the goal line, period. And I, he was. I love that we're talking over. We're talking wrestling terms now because earlier today I used one with you. I asked you. I go, did that thing on Undisputed also? Did, did it almost turn from a work to a shoot? You were like, no, that was definitely a shoot. <laughs> now, yeah, absolutely. That got personal and got personal quick. I, hey, listen. It's the best. It's the best TV, right? The best TV is real. So nothing would... Because also, when you think about the dynamic between uh, Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp, wouldn't it be great to just see him pull a Jim Everett and just come across the table and be like, listen, you don't get to talk to me like Jim (laughs) Rowe. Yeah, it's true. My, My favorite moment was when Shannon Sharp started screaming at him at the top of his lungs. You actually think you know what a good quarterback looks like? Well, my, the, the way the, the second I knew it became a shoot was when I saw a little bit of spit on his lip, and I was just like, "Oh no, you don't do that on national TV unless like it's unintentional." This is—he's come unglued. Like <laughs> the man is unhinged right now. I love it. I love the fact that all of this is going on, and that you brought it to my attention. I love the fact that we have this rivalry, Elf. 
Tell everybody where they can hate watch and hate follow all the Dolphins. <laughs> you guys are putting out over three yards per carry while we head towards this, what feels like a penultimate game. It's like the penultimate game before we eventually meet in the playoffs because it's, you know, that used to happen to the 90s teams, right? Like that, the, the, the best, yes. when we were the winningest division in football was back in the 90s. When we ran into each other in the regular season, it was must-watch TV. When we ran into the play, like it was inevitable we'd meet in the playoffs. So I'm going to call this the penultimate game. Not the ultimate one, but the penultimate game. Where can they follow all your content and where can they follow you on social media? Uh, you can follow me at on Twitter at Alf underscore Artiaga. And of course, our Twitter account at 3 Yards Per Carry is the number 3 Yards Per Carry. And you can get our... our our podcast anywhere you get your podcast and it's also the number three yards per carry christian simonelli alf artiaga scott mason are the fabulous Freebirds of the <laughs> afc east the hell did you just say to me fabulous Freebirds. oh my god jimmy garvin terry gordy michael hayes so we just got done talking with elf about this idea because he mentioned he's like I, th- I expect the Jets and the Patriots to start showing everybody what they are and what we've even though they're even though their records are you can't take those six wins away from them we expect them to show themselves for who they might be well I take a look at this and I say the Jets have to go play the Bears the Vikings us and then, really, their schedule outside of the Seahawks is uh, until they play Miami again. Who, if my depending on where Miami is, they might not need Week 18. It, their schedule looks pretty soft, but there again, they have their quarterback issues. New England has basically the same offensive issues, just a lack of creativity and a lack of execution. Their schedule also, us, the Dolphins, and the Bengals are their toughest competition. I mean, they've got that primetime game. <laughs> New England at Las Vegas. Can you think of a lead, like What primetime? Uh, Sunday night football. That's got to get flexed. It, can you think of a more unwatchable? I was about to say, can you think of a more unwatchable football game? <laughs> Realistically, I think that these AFC East teams are going to stick around and they're going to be annoying and they're going to be one of those te- things where, yes, the the... the Patriots are probably going to get beat here by some team. It's going to be a team. It'll probably the Bills will probably beat them because we're just more competent than they are on offense. And the but, but they're going to go play the Vikings on the road. They'll probably lose that game. But against the Cardinals, I don't know. I think Cliff Kingsbury's a hack. I think that, that whole team's overrated. The Raiders, you better beat a team that only has three wins. The Bengals, who knows what they are. The Dolphins, the Bills again. Like, I could see New England fading before the Jets. I don't know. I think that this division truly is going to be here to cannibalize itself and everybody else around us. I want to make a bet, Chris, that come week 17, there are obviously going to be two AFC East teams in the playoff picture. Mm -hmm. Firmly in. I want to say they'll be a third AFC East wildcard team. Do you think the Patriots can get there? <sighs> the problem is, is that I'm, they've shut, 
Did did you think that either one of those teams, the Patriots or the Jets, was going to get to six wins? That's probably where they're. I would have put them that they're done getting yeah. wins, and they're already here. So you think they're going to lose out? No. No, I don't. They might go like eight and nine, nine and eight, somewhere in that neighborhood. I don't think I don't think the Patriots or the Jets make the playoffs. I'll have to I'll have to, I'll have to pull up the. Uh, so what do we want I'll to call this? Pull if, up the standings and I'll. And if I'll come look. if come the final week of the season, one of them isn't on the bubble and has a chance to play like win and in situation. No, if anybody's. Let's think about this for the course of the week. We'll come back at next week's AFC show. We'll lead it with what our resolved bet is. But I want you and me to take some take a hard look at this because I think it again as the most competitive division in football. There's going to be a lot of intrigue down the stretch, guys. I appreciate you showing up for the show tonight. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. This has been your AFC's roundup. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.